Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Yeah, Memorial Day weekend, there is one service on that Sunday in the a.m. Again, this is a pilot program for me this year. And I already know a lot of people that's already going to be out before we even get here. There are several people that are already going to be gone uh, for the weekend and such. So, again, just a pilot program. If you're unhappy about that, I'm sorry. I'm just trying it. It won't be the first thing you'll ever be unhappy with me for. Uh, But uh, I'm just a, a, a... kind of a pilot like I'm saying a protocol pilot program here this year to see what what goes and I really have only done that based upon previous years of what happens on Sunday nights of major holidays or holidays of culturally around here people when they go camping and they travel and they get away and uh, I'm not trying to be a disservice to anybody uh, by no means uh, but uh, just trying to be be aware and yes 50 is just as important as five if they would show up but uh, say whatever it is, I'm just doing it, <laughs> okay? I don't, know, I don't know how else to say it. I'm trying to qualify it for you, but I'm just telling you, just doing it. <laughs> and so um, I, I apologize if that, 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 that bothers you. Um, Colossians chapter number 3, we're going to read the same springboard that we've been going through. We're going to get through the other two stages of forgiving tonight. And I don't know if three weeks from now, whenever I'm back here on a Wednesday, talking to God about it. I don't know if I'm continuing with forgive and forget because I could or if I'm going to start second Peter series. So I don't know yet. So surprise whenever I come back three weeks from now and standing here I'm unsure. I want to want to kind of tap into what the Lord has to say uh, concerning that whenever we get whenever we get back. Colossians chapter number three and verse number 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, do also, so also do ye. Again, we have looked at stage number one, hurt. Last week, we, and that was kind of a long one because we had stuff kind of broken down underneath there. Remember, her has to be personal, unfair, and deep. Stage number two was hate. So we kind of embraced that last week, you know. Hate, both aggressive and passive. Took that definition, at least for me personally, and realized that maybe I hate, I hate, I hate to say this, but that maybe I hate more often than what I would like to own. All right. And then tonight we're going to start looking at stage number three of healing of healing and then we'll look at coming together as well amen let's pray right now father i come to you this evening i need you oh lord god we need you lord jesus in this place be able to help us oh god i pray oh lord jesus god bring some practical truths the lord forward i'll let them be connected with some biblical truths i pray lord perhaps you can help us lord in our individual lives God, for the the, the idea and the concept of forgiveness is something, Lord, that each and every one of us has to come to terms with, Lord, from time to time in life, in relationships, Lord, of varying degrees and intensities. I pray, oh, Lord, that you have to help us tonight to hear, Lord, what the Spirit might say. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Something that was primary or the hub, if you will, of what we spoke of last week is we discussed how how difficult it is to separate an action from a person. How difficult it is to separate the lie from what we would call the liar. And so with that being the case, it being so difficult because one seems to require the other, an action seems to to, to require a person to do the action, to carry forth the action, Since that's the case we looked at last week, then we don't just tend to hate 
what someone has done, but we tend to hate the person who did whatever the action may be, especially if it was against us or hurt us. It was something that necessitates forgiveness. So we hate, of course, the lie, but we also forget we, we hate the liar. And so that, that brings us then to a place where we are in a position of needing to forgive, needing to forgive as a result of that, needing for, to forgive a person because we've learned even from the very beginning. Remember, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is something that's very personal. Anytime you read it in Scripture, what? It, again, it concerned he, them, they, nation, right? Or even if it was a sinner transgression, again, that sinner transgression was associated with what? A human being or a person. And so whenever we have this type of thing, we have that hate that arises in our lives, although we might not want to own that. We, we, you go back to your Webster dictionaries, whatever you may have, and just look up the terminology and you might find yourself there. It sets us up then, hate sets us up as candidates to forgive. And it positions us then really for the third stage of forgiving. And that stage is healing. Amen. Healing for the wrong, healing, if you will, for the hate. Uh, healing for all of the mess that has come about as a result of some type of hurt, pain, uh, dysfunction has happened that would necessitate forgiveness. And so it's at this stage of forgiving that the pattern for forgiving that Colossians tells us that even as Christ forgave, so also do ye, that the pattern for forgiving is very crucial. The pattern for forgiving, it being the Lord, is very necessary for us to consider. Smead said it like this, and anytime you hear me say that, I'm referring back to the author of the book that I said from the onset, uh, uh, Forgive and Forget, that was good, that some of this material is based upon. Uh, on. The act of forgiving by itself is a wonderfully simple act, but it always happens inside a storm of complex emotions. And that's probably where the true difficulty comes in. The real forgiveness part or the act of forgiveness in and of itself is not necessarily some, you know, three, three turns to the right to the number 22. And it's not a combination, but it's all the emotion that surrounds the event. It's all the emotion and conflicting thoughts that you have in the moment. That's really, if you will, the deep waters that you're trudging in. It's the emotions of the moment. And might I even add this tonight personally, that... It's these emotions that will probably more than anything else be the hindrances to us forgiving. Uh, how we are feeling or what we feel is justice or whether we feel like they've paid enough or you know, all these different whirling of emotions that happen in us are probably really the primary hindrances to forgiving. But when we look at Christ or the Lord as the pattern that as he did so we should do, Christ forgave us. He forgave us according to the scripture, but the way in which he forgave us and how he forgave gave us stems all the way from even Old Testament sacrificial system that we read of that the children of Israel went through, the way that they handled sin, all the way back at the Old Testament sacrificial system. The Jews have a day, still yet to this, this day, but uh, back in the Old Testament, it's called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, uh, among other things, but two goats, two goats, amen, are brought uh, before the Lord and before the priest, and they cast lots, which is, would be similar to like, you know, uh, drawing straws or, or casting dice, so to speak. They cast lots, and they're drawn, and one lot is to designate one goat to be a sacrifice, a sacrifice for a sin offering, and then the other lot is for what was known as the scapegoat. And this is what the Bible says, Leviticus 16 and verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands. So after the scapegoat, the lot has been chosen for him. Aaron now, taking the scapegoat, shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. In verse 22, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So, so imagine this. this. This is really in effect 
or what was going on or what they believed, all the nation believed, is that that one time every year, that priest putting his hand on that goat, he was lit in their minds transferring the sins of their nation, transferring the sins of their people up on that goat and then having it led away, all right, led away into an uninhabited place and released there, uh, hopefully with the purpose of it not returning. It was far enough away, you know, it's not going to be like some cat you take away and it shows back up your house before you get home, you know. But it's going to go away and it's going to be taken. As a matter of fact, it was taken by some trusted hands to an uh, uninhabited place. And there's even some Jewish uh, traditions that even imagine that it, that goat with all the sins of the nation on it was taken to a rocky cliff and pushed over the cliff so that it could never return back to their camp or back to their nation. But the whole concept and idea behind doing that was this. Listen to me very closely because this this helps us deal with and heal how we have a hard problem of separating the action from the person. Because what is happening here, what the concept and idea of the Jewish heritage is this, is that them placing all the sins of the nation on the goat and it being led away from the people, they were in essence separating the sin from the sinner. The sin from the person for our purposes the sinful action the wrong action the hurtful action from the one who had done the hurt and so there's this removal we see this even in our scriptures today we see this even in david david psalms 103 and verse 12 we oftentimes go to this to speak of forgiveness and it is part and parcel part of that healing part of what takes place in the process of forgiveness, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed what? Our transgressions from us. You're, you, you, you are a sinner, of course, by, by nature. You're born to be a sinner. But you're sinning when you commit sin. All right? Which are actions. All right? And so he said, we're separating the transgression. We're separating the sin. Amen. We're, we're separating all this from the individual. And so this is the healing, if you will. This is the healing aspect of forgiveness that David is really concentrating on in Psalms 103. Um, our hate is healed when by God's help we can separate the sin from the sinner. And look at the action and then look at the person. Separate the offense from the offender. And when this happens, here's what takes place. Whenever that separation can happen, you gain new insight of the person. Because see, before, they're the liar, they're the cheater, they're the murderer, they're the... Right? But whenever we can set that aside from the person, what happens is this. Then we can start to see the person for who... They really are and not for what they have done. Now, Brother McGee, Lord God, that cannot happen. It can. Because that's how Christ forgave every one of us. He set what we did apart from who we were. Because at the base of it all, what all of us are, are a needy group of humanity. Huh? Right? At our core, we are really needy people deplorable people, fallible people. And so if we can separate the action from the person, it's part of that, 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 that process of forgiveness, separate the action from the purpose, we start identifying them for what they really are. They are fallen humanity. They are fallible. They are needy. And so that gives us new insight because now we're not viewing them necessarily for what they have done, but we're trying to see who they are in spite of what they've done. I'm telling you, in the prison system, there's a lot of good people. There is a lot of good people that have been labeled because of how they've acted. And they're carrying the ball in the chain, literally, <laughs> as a result of it. And so here's, here's, the pattern that we, here's the pattern that we need to follow. Amen. That even the Lord uh, has, has done for us, and so we do likewise. Number one, for forgiveness, for this healing process, somewhere along the way, and, and, and sometimes it might be more of a, a mental exercise for us because we're not God. We can't separate somebody from their sin. But it might be a mental process for us. we got to detach the hurt from the person who hurt us, and we got to let the hurt be led away and go. And when that happens, you'll gain 
fresh insight concerning the one that has hurt you. You're not looking at them as a liar now. I'm looking at him as Alex Mason, who is fallible humanity, that I could do the exact same thing. You know, it's kind of like, but for the grace of God, there go I. I could be the exact. I could be the one that had fended rather, rather than being the offendee. All right? And then whenever that happens, here's what starts to happen. When you view people for who they are, in spite of what they've done, when you get new insight, you get new feelings that come with that insight. It does. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, you, you can shed a tear over their poor behalf. Because you see a deplorable state, perhaps, that they just are really in. The Apostle Paul, and you can look at this, there's a nice one little chapter book in the New Testament called Philemon. Not very long. You probably read through it so quick in your Bible reading, you just like you forgot what was even in there. But there's this little one, ch- one chapter, and it's a book called Philemon. And in that, the Apostle Paul is fighting for the forgiveness of a man by the name of Onesimus. And he's urging Philemon, he's urging Philemon, this is really what he's asking Philemon to do. I want you to gain new insight for Onesimus. I know what he's done to you or how he's abandoned you, but I want you to gain a new insight on Onesimus. And so Paul sets Philemon up. He really does. I almost have to chuckle on myself how, how uh, sly or, or Paul is in, in what he is doing here. Paul really sets Philemon up to forgive Onesimus, by recalling some of Philemon's notable traits. Look look what Paul does. Look at this with me. If it don't make you smile, that's fine. I'll smile enough for us all. Philemon chapter 1, which there's only one chapter, and verse 5, but nevertheless, the Bible says, hearing of thy love. This is Paul speaking to Philemon. Hearing of thy love. See, he's already laying the better on thick. Hearing of thy love and, and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Folks, what you just seen right there, that's called a setup. I'm telling you, what you just read right there, Paul knows he's about ready to talk to him about Onesimus, someone who has done him wrong and abandoned him, and he's wanting him to forgive him, but he's setting him, you're such a love and fellow Philemon, and you got such faith, and not just to the Lord Jesus, but to all the That, ladies and gentlemen is wisdom at its best. That is a setup. And he, he <laughs> I love it. Paul told Philemon, he said, now, now he, he realized that perhaps Onesimus was not profitable to him. You can look at this in verse 11. I'll give you references. He, he told Philemon, he said, now I realize that Onesimus wasn't profitable, profitable to you in the past. He says, and I realize that he even departed from you. That says that in verse 15. He says, I realize that he even departed from you and all this happening. Let me say all this in, in, in tongue and groove with this. You know, forgive, forgiving is, is love's toughest work. But it's also, in our minds, it's riskiest work. Because we're saying, is it going to happen again? Huh? And so he says, I know he did that in the past, and I know he departed from you. But he goes on in verses 12 and also verse 17. But now, he says, that was the past. I know he departed. But now, Philemon, I wonder if you could receive Onesimus. Now, he's been with me for a while. I wonder if you could receive Onesimus as though you were receiving me. In other words, I want you to take him into your home under your wing as though it were me. But he did you wrong. He departed from you. But can you receive him as you would receive me? Boy, Paul's, Paul just, I mean, he's not wading out in the waters. He jumped off the diving board. <laughs> he's head first. He said, I wonder if you could do that. And furthermore, if you read verses 12 and 17, he's basically, you know, and basically not hold any of those former things against him. Now look, here is the new insight now. Watch it now. Here's the new insight that Paul believes Philemon can have. All right? That he can have. So he's, 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 I know when you receive him as the departer or all the past stuff, what's he saying? I want you to separate that. And receive Onesimus as Onesimus. Hmm? And here's the new insight then that he believes that Philemon can have. Look at verse number 15. For perhaps 
He therefore departed for a season, speaking of Onesimus, that thou shouldest receive him, meaning back, forever. Look at verse 16. Here's the new insight. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. Especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He said, he says, I want you to receive him back, but not as a servant. Huh? New insight. Why? Because we're letting the former things be former things, and you're viewing Onesimus as Onesimus, a man that's needy, fallible. I wonder if you could receive him back, if you will, as a brother beloved. <laughs> See, Paul's hoping, and he, he has belief, he has faith, evidently, that Philemon can gain this new insight because if you will, Paul has already offered a scapegoat <laughs> for Onesimus, trying the, the, the past wrong, the departure that he had done upon Philemon to let that go. He's willing, if you will, look at this. You'll find this real very quickly. Paul's becoming the scapegoat for Onesimus because he's willing to take away Onesimus's debt to Philemon and then... Lee Philemon beholding Onesimus as the weak, needy, fallible human being that we all tend to be from time to time. And he says in verse number 18, look at Philemon 1.18. Here's Paul, this is Paul speaking. If he, speaking of Onesimus, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, he said, put that on mine account. What's he trying to do? He's trying to take the actions, the wrong, the debt, and put it on his shoulders, lead it away from Onesimus, so he can just take Onesimus as not as the departer, but as Onesimus. Well, see, he's trying to he's trying to work Philemon through the steps of healing. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? Matter of fact, we don't necessarily always get five stars for doing those type of things, do we? Or succeed? I believe that's probably like. Whenever David in the Old Testament, remember when David numbered the children of Israel? You weren't supposed to do that unless there was ransom money given. Remember when David did that wrongly? Had Joab go out and number all the people? And if you'll remember, when he did that, there was, there was a kickback as a result. There was consequences as a result of that. And David, he chose to suffer at the hands of God. Do you remember that? He was given, whenever they came to David after him doing that wrong, he was given three choices. But those three choices basically boil down into two categories that David saw. Suffer at the hands of men or suffer at the hands of God. This is the story. 2 Samuel 24, verse 13. So Gad, 2 Samuel 24, 13. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come into thy land? Here's the choices. Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Here's the third choice. Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land. Now advise... And see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Verse 14, and David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. <laughs> Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord. See, David took those three choices and basically boiled it down to two options. Hands of the Lord or the hands of men. He said, let's now fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of men. Sadly, David chose the hands of the Lord because he did not see the hands of men being near as merciful nor as forgiving as God's hands. But Paul, man, great strides from Old Testament to the New Testament. Paul, with great confidence, he's building our assurance in men and humanity and their ability to forgive as the Lord forgave. When he told Philemon this in the very verse 21, he said, I wrote unto thee. There he is, man. He, he, he bathed him to start with, and he's putting, it's like the other side of the bread, buddy. He said, I, I wrote unto you, Philemon. He said, knowing that thou will also do more than I say. <laughs> I've asked you not to see him as a, as a servant, but receive him as the beloved. Forget the old and receive him as the... And you're a loving man. You have faith and you show good to God and every person. And I just got a feeling you're so good, you're going to do above and beyond what I've even asked of you. Masterful. Masterful. The book of Philemon is. So he has confidence and is trying to assure our confidence in men and our ability to forgive 
because now we've been given a pattern in the New Testament. The Old Testament, void of the pattern except what was found in their ceremonial sacrificial system. But now we've had a man walk in shoe leather, go to a cross, gave forgiveness. So now we have a real tangible pattern that we can try to follow. And so if we gain new insight about who a person really is, rather than it just being based upon what they have done, it can and has the potential to change how we feel about who they really are. Smead said it like this. He said, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Remember last week? Hate didn't do that. <laughs> Hate says, I don't want to kill him, but if, you know, if it puts him in the hospital for a couple of days, that's okay. Where aggressive hate might say, you know what, I wouldn't mind just, you know. <laughs> but when you can look at that individual that had wronged you, and now the feeling isn't there like, mm, mm. the Joab spirit ain't on you, like hug their neck and shove it under the fifth rib. But you really wish them well. Why? Because you see them as they are. Needy, fallible humanity that made a mistake. Fourth stage of forgiving is coming together. The last stage, we might call it, but it's not a stage that you necessarily reach, that last stage. Forgiveness has already happened. Forgiveness happens at the healing stage. Coming together is kind of a perk if it happens. It's what we would call, according to the Bible, reconciliation. And reconciliation, coming together, can only happen if both the offender and the offendee jointly make it happen. The, the, the offendee can't make it happen on their own just because they've forgiven the one that's done them wrong. They can't make reconcili- reconciliation. Reconciliation is not a one-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin. And so forgiveness can take place in the healing stage, but kind of the cherry on top of all that is if reconciliation is possible with both parties coming together and working together. I will say this. You can have forgiveness And you can forgive without reconciliation. But you cannot get to reconciliation without there having been forgiveness. Okay? And so, with that being the case, it can't be achieved alone. It's it's preferable. It's preferable. But it's not always possible. And that's not always a choice that's left up to you. It's left up to the other party as well. If you'll remember in our little backstory there in Philemon, Philemon and Onesimus... Paul, of course, is rallying and petitioning for a reconciliation. Received him, come together, you know, let's go on. But that doesn't always happen. Reconciliation usually involves three ingredients or three things. Number one, repentance. Because that's on the offender side. That's how they receive the forgiveness you offered. Repentance. Which means you're going to have to admit some wrong. That's a major thing. Number two, restitution or compensation if it's, if it's needful or necessary, if, if the circumstance uh, necessitates that. And we'll talk about that here in a bit. Number three, rehabilitation. What's that? Some changing of behavior of the offender, the one who offended. A changing, if you will, of the behavior. And sometimes that don't take place overnight because it's according to what the behavior is. They didn't get to doing that behavior overnight. For instance, if it's drug abuse or something like that, and then that causes some things in the context of a family. They didn't get there overnight. So Smeet says this. He said, both parties, the wronged and the wrongdoers, must bring about an honest coming together. They must bring truthfulness. To be specific, you must expect those who hurt you to be honestly in touch with the reality of your falling out, your pain, and their responsibility for them. There's got to be some ownership. They need to know that the pain that you suffered at their hands was unfair to you, that it was personal, that it went deep. So, whenever we offer forgiveness, we offer that, but again, they cannot receive, the wrongdoer cannot receive your forgiveness until they repent. This is also, and I, this is a, a little a dipping over from years ago, my forgiveness series, and that is this. It is the pattern of the Lord. Forgiveness He gave to everyone. At Calvary, 
But you, that does not become enacted in your life until you go through the mode of repentance. Mm-hmm. It's being granted, given to everybody, but you can't receive it until you repent. That's the reason why repentance is so important. Repentance is so crucial concerning our plan of salvation because that, if you will, activates God's forgiveness in our life. Amen. And so uh, we got to recognize, part of the reconcilia- Reconciliation Act is we got to realize in that mode of repentance, we got to realize this. Number one, that, that we have hurt somebody. That's what we can do when we come to God. I've sinned against you, God. Huh? The moment that we come to the awareness that there is such a thing as sin against God or something that we did as a trainer, we got to recognize that. We got to own that. Ownership. Own that. We can't, say, we can't blame it on mom and dad. We can't excuse it. We got to own that. That's part of the repentance. That's part of going along the road in a potential potentially maybe having reconciliation in our life. And so we got to accept full responsibility for our actions. Brother McGee, listen, we're all adults here. We know this. I know. But sometimes it's just good to state the obvious all over again. That you can be forgiven, but you might not be able to go on in reconciliation until you own what is yours. There's been times in some of my, my wife's and I's marriage, she forgave me long before we was ever reconciled. Because I wasn't willing to admit I wronged her. My God, it's getting hard in here now. Sister Fronda got out the fan. (laughs) But honestly, I just dared tell you, in the church, we have a bunch of people that forget. We've had people in the church that's forgiven one another, but they've not reconciled the relationship because somebody's not willing to admit what they did was wrong. Forgiveness happened? Yes. But has reconciliation happened? No. And what's that? That's disunity then, body. But again, let's go on. Because whenever you, whenever you don't take full responsibility for your actions, phrases like this might pop out your mouth. Oh, God, help us. It, it, this, this, is not, <laughs> this is not taking ownership, okay? You come to the one that is forgiven. You're like, well, since you think I've done something wrong, That's the other one that's oftentimes said. Well, if I've done anything to offend you, that's not taking ownership. That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's not taking ownership. Here's the other big one. Oh, if you're, if you're keen on, on paying attention, this is this probably going to have to necessitate more forgiveness. I'm, here they come. I'm sorry, but. Son, you was doing real good until that third word. Because the word but starts to cast a big shadow on the I'm sorry. What's the but? It's going to put some conditions, you know. I'm sorry, but, you know, it was, or excuse, I'm sorry, but I had a rough day at work. That's not taking ownership. That's saying you did what you did because your day at work. Excuse. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I didn't realize that. You could, you just all kinds of different things. That, that, that's, that's not taking ownership. That's not repentance. I'm, so, I'm sorry, God, that, uh, you know, I'm a drug addict, but my parents were drug addicts. I'm just trying to do a shift for you just to see the, 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 the comparison, if you will. Everybody say, I have a choice. Can we be influenced? Oh, yeah, but that choice is even yours. Now, look at this. <laughs> so, whenever you take ownership, you can't dismiss or downplay the hurtful behavior that took place. Because to dismiss it or downplay it, you know, well, they thought it was this degree. It was re- whenever you do that, you're not taking ownership. Yeah. Genesis 33 and verse 3 and 4. This is probably a a good story in my opinion. The whole chapter of Genesis 33. But whenever Jacob comes back after being years apart from his brother Esau. Remember, Jacob has taken the the, the birthright. 
through, it seemed trickery, although Esau gave it up, I understand. He, he took the blessing, and whenever he last seen his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. <laughs> That's how I feel about forgiveness, Esau said. <laughs> I just kill him. And so they've been separated now for several years. And here's Jacob coming back, and verse number 3 says, and he passed over before them, all these other bands of men and how his, his family has grown, and bowed himself to the ground seven times. And who's he's approaching as he's bowing himself to the ground? Esau, the one he had wronged. He's bowing himself to the ground seven He's approaching him with humility. Now we're getting somewhere with repentance. Now we're getting somewhere with ownership. He's approaching him with humility until he came near to his brother. Look at verse number four. And Esau... Here's forgiveness. <laughs> and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. Now note the wording now. All up to this point, we have Esau doing the running, Esau embracing, Esau falling on his neck. But look at this last phrase. And kissed him and looked now, and they, everybody say they, and they wept. This is not just the weeping of someone that hasn't seen a brother in a long time that wanted to kill him. You know what this is? This is a Jacob that in a moment of time is identifying with the hurt. That his connivory has caused his brother. He is owning and identifying with the hurt. And to come to a place of repentance and come into a place of ownership, we got to identify with what we have put the other person through. So you, you got to identify that. Now, now, go on a little further. I know. I, I got medicated today for some things. And this could be bad for everybody. It's starting to feel better. <laughs> Not near the pain I was in. Amen. You want that on podcast? Is that what you're afraid of? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Just showing some humanity here. So you have repentance, but then there's restitution or compensation if it's necessary for reconciliation. And again, sometimes there's guidelines for that. Uh, for instance, where there may, might need restitution or compensation, consider this. Someone that is uh, outlandish or all over the map with uh, being financially astute, perhaps within America, there might need to be some type of financial accountability. That would be a compensation for what they have done before. If they've been very, yes, if there's, if there's been this, you know, they, they you know, maxed out the credit cards and there was never anything ever said about the other about it. Whew. Yeah, there's going to be some forgiveness needing right there and some repentance. And there might need to be some financial accountability, amen, in order to reach a place of reconciliation. For, for somebody else out there, it might be, you know, that wife just needs that husband to be able to hold down a job. You hear what I'm saying? Before they're able to mend some of the things in their home marriage, she just might be able to be able to see he can be faithful at a place of work. Uh, for people that uh, abuse substances or things of that matter, they, they, might, they might need to be able to make the process of starting to seek treatment for whatever, whatever difficulty or abuse of drug that there is. That they might need to go on and start finding some treatment before they can trust, they can reconcile to this person because if they don't start treatment, then they're afraid this cycle is just going to happen all over again. They forgive them, but they can't be reconciled to them until they feel like there's some type of restitution or compensation there to help with this reconciling. Everybody understand what I'm saying right now? The Bible says in Genesis 33 and verse number 10, look at this. This is continuing with the Jacob-Esau story. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee to Esau, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. He's trying to give him something. There's probably not no cow or camel that can make up for all those years. But you see the heart behind the gift. He says, then, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore, this is interesting, and we'll look at this in just a moment. For therefore, Jacob says, I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. And thou wast, look, pleased with me. Eleven, take, I pray thee, my blessing 
that is brought to thee because God hath dealt graciously with me because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. And so there's, there's a little compensation. There's a little restitution that's trying to be made there in this process of reconciliation. But here's what I want you to know. Why? Because our forgiveness is to pattern the forgiveness of God. Our forgiveness is to pattern Christ. Do as he had done. Look at this now. Jacob tells Esau, he said, whenever I saw you, and particularly that you were, you were pleased. He said, I seen your face as though I seen the face of God. Let me say it like this, folks. People will see the face of God in our faces or the faces we can see the face of God in those, in those that have done, amen, us you know, not wrong, but those that we have done wrong to, whenever they have the spirit of forgiveness and they can look at the one that had done them wrong and say, we're, gonna just, we're just going to separate from what you did from who you are and we're going to accept you. People can look into the faces of humanity and see the face of God. How? Because we're acting so much like Christ in that moment. It took me a while to get that out. That was a struggle. It... it, 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 it it makes them. He says, i seen your face. i seen this, the face of God. You were pleased with me, and I was the one that did you wrong. I was the one that stole your birthright. I was the one that did all that. And I see your face, and you're pleased. It was like looking at the face of God. How in the world? Because whenever God looked at all of humanity, and we sinned against Him, we did this wrong against Him, and that wrong against Him, He's still looking down upon us with loving eyes and a heart of compassion and kindness. How? Because that's the way God does. He forgave. And when we have that same type of mentality, we show Christ through us in that pattern and manner. <clears throat> Lastly, change of habit, change, change of behavior. Smead says now they must feel as if their real selves, who they are, apart from what they've done, are strangers to the person they were when they hurt you. It's interesting. Meaning that who they really are they need to show or feel or get to a place that is different or who they were. That liar is a stranger to me. I can't believe I even did that because of where I stand right now. There must be a change of behavior. Jesus admonishes, uh, I believe it was Peter, Lord, how many times did we forgive a man? Seven times? He said, oh, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And he wasn't trying to arrive at the magic number 490. That ain't the case. But what, 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 what he was trying to convey was this. We can forgive a person over and over and over and over and over and over. And we should. We should forgive a person over and over and over. But if we don't break the pattern of our behavior, that doesn't mean that you're going to get reconciliation over and over and over. Christ says, I hold you to the standard of forgiving them over and over and over. But he didn't say you got to be reconciled to them over and over. Because again, a person may only feel safe to be reconciled when they believe that their trust, because that's what you give someone in a relationship, that their trust isn't going to be broken too quickly. There's nothing worse than being taken advantage of, getting right back in the same bed and getting taken advantage of again. The sorries have happened, the forgiveness, the repentance. They might even own it. But whenever that continuously happens, you may not go back into a reconciliation position with that person. Should you not you to forgive them? Yes. But you might not be reconciled to them. Real quickly. Well, as quick as I can. Four stages. Hurt, hate, healing, coming together. Should have really got another H word, huh? Reconciliation. But very quickly, because since we're talking about forgiveness, four stages of forgiveness, I want to go real quickly, if I can. Some nice things that forgiving is not. All right? Because we're talking about forgiveness, so let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Here's my list that we're going to touch on very quickly. Forgiving is not forgetting. Another series called Forgive and Forget. That's because that's a common thing that's been said eons past through even histories of some of our childhoods and grandparents. Forgive and forget. Forgiving is not forgetting. Excusing is not forgiving. Forgiving is not the same as 
smothering the conflict. We find this as parents doing this to our children. Shh, shh, don't worry about it. It'll be just, you know what we do? There's something where they feel they've been violated. They're saying, no, it's not that big. So we just smother it. Forgiving is not, or should I say it like this, accepting people is not forgiving them. I'm trying to make sense of this. Forgiving is not tolerance. Number one, forgiving is not forgetting. It's me, but we got Bible. When we forgive someone, we do not forget the hurtful act. Let's be honest with ourselves. Have you ever been just terribly wrong and can tell me right now tonight, I don't even remember that. Listen here, this Joe here can remember some. Hmm? You can never forgive people for things you have forgotten about. And we should not make forgetting a test of our forgiving. Well, if they've not forgotten and they've not forgiven, wrong Forgetting is not a qualification then to measure whether or not you have forgiven. Jeremiah 31 and 34, and this is the reason why we go here. Again, we're looking at God as our example. Does God forget? He's our model. Does he forget? If he forgets, then we should forget. Bless God. Jeremiah 31, 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For here's the Lord, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There it is. Bless God. Amen. Pastor McGee, he remembers their sin no more. We got to forget it. Get this forgiveness thing down. Well, the Hebrew word forgive in Jeremiah means causing to remember, recalling, mentioning. Whenever God says he will remember their sin no more, he's choosing not to recall their sin. He's choosing not to mention it. The best way to keep a fire alive is keep feeding it something to burn. He's choosing not to remember it. Not that your omniscient, all-knowing God now has the ability to forget And it's not that God doesn't have the ability to remember. It's that he chooses not to remember. Consider this, if you, if you will, with me. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, if God's going to judge everybody at the end of time according to what they've done, whether it be good or bad, how's he going to do that if he forgot all the bad we did? So all of a sudden, it's just in that moment of time, there's going to be the miraculous divine memory that comes back to God. No, he never forgot it. He just chose not to. He chose not to recall it. So what I'm telling you tonight is forgiveness can happen whether you've forgotten the deed or not. And probably forgiveness is really put into the truest test because you remember every day and you still choose to forgive. I've said this in, in not that long ago, one of our last prison conferences. Forgetting is a function of the brain, but forgiving is a function of the spirit. The brain has the ability to record 600 memories per second. 600 memories per second. And they say everything is still there, believe it or not. Even if you have Alzheimer's or dementia, it's still there. So though all those events in life are deeply etched within your brain somewhere. Smead said it like this, you do not have to forget after you forgive. You may, but your forgiving can be sincere even if you remember. Forgiveness. Excusing is not forgiving. Excusing is just the opposite of forgiving. Because we forgive people for things we blame them for. Hmm? That's in part and parcel what necessitates forgiveness. So-and-so did this personal unfair, deep hurt to me. So if you excuse that, then you're in a long stretch in need of forgiveness in this scenario. You, you, don't, excuse, you don't excuse people by forgiving them. You forgive them. You forgive them at all only because you're holding them to an account of what they have done. And you're refusing to excuse them. 
Look at it, if you will. Numbers 12, verses 10 and 11. I got to move. We're going to have fun. Yep, it's going to be one of the longer times. I'm sorry. Numbers 12 and verse number 10. And the cloud, nobody be praying for me, have continuous back problems in case this is a you know, connection here. He does shorter whenever he's in pain. Numbers 12 and verse number 10. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. The Bible goes on to say that Miriam was shut up from the camp for seven days. Even so much, just as as long as if her, her father had spit, in her face, she was shut up for seven days. But look at Aaron. He said, my Lord, Moses, don't lay the sin to her charge. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to excuse it. He's trying to excuse it. But you know what? Since she was to blame, she can be forgiven. Huh? As a matter of fact, to, to, to the delay of seven days and laying the sin to her charge, allowed the nation to come to a place that they could forgive her because her critical spirit allowed them to be delayed in going any further for seven days. She could be forgiven because it was her. But if you excuse it, there's nothing there to be done. Forgiving is not the same as smothering a conflict. Smeed says this. This is just a little water jump. They shush us and soothe us and assure us that whatever makes us mad is not worth raising a fuss about. You do not have to forgive people by smothering conflict. You forever smother people's differences. You rob them of a chance to forgive. If everything is just, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, then you've never given anybody an opportunity to forgive, and you're probably nurturing some bitterness. Accepting people is not forgiving them. Smith says this. This is an important statement in my opinion. We accept people because of the good people they are for us. But we forgive people for the bad things they did to us. When you accept somebody, you accept them because of the good they, they bring to you. In spite of annoyances they may have. This is a perfect picture of marriage. I accept that lady for the good that she has in spite of the annoyances that sometimes may bother me. But forgiveness happens because somebody has literally, profoundly, intentionally, maybe even at times, done something bad against you. And so we accept people, we accept them as our friends, we accept them as our lovers, because they are worth a lot to us in spite of a lot of things about them that we'd rather do without. It's kind of like having them in the balance. Having them is better than not having them, even though this comes with some baggage. Amen? So you do not forgive people merely by accepting them. You forgive people who have done something to you that is unacceptable. So it's important to make the differential. Forgiving is not tolerance. So it to this, and I got a verse I think that is very good for this. You do not have to tolerate what people do when you forgive them for doing it. You can forgive them for the deed, but that doesn't mean you have to tolerate them keeping on doing that. Do you understand that? Case in point, John 8, 11. Here it is. She said, the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, she said, he asked her, has any man condemned thee? She says, no man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. What was that? Forgiveness. But go and sin no more. What is that? A perfect picture of forgiveness, but forgiveness is not tolerating. He says, I forgive you for what you did, but don't you keep on doing it. So tolerating is not, forgiving is not tolerance. Jesus forgives the adulteress of an undeniable sin. But he does not tolerate her sin. Go, sin, no more. What's he looking for? What is it? He's looking for reconciliation ultimately because he's looking for a change of behavior. If you can stand with me tonight. See, it wasn't too bad. So this concludes for the moment our Forgive and Forget series, whether I pick it up in three weeks or whether we go to 2 Peter, I know not yet. If we embow our heads tonight, we have, we have walked a road 
a lot of scripture even littered in there concerning the hurt and the three different areas of that and the, the hate and the healing tonight and the reconciliation, all good steps. And there's other areas that we can look at as well and go further. We'll see what the Lord will have. But I'm asking tonight if you can just pray with me this evening. I just want you to be honest with God. And here is the prayer that I desire for you to pray to the Lord tonight. I want you tonight to ask the Lord to help you just to practice forgiveness as he's given or has practiced forgiveness to us in our lives. That we could mirror the pattern that he has staged for us for what he had done to us and for us. Can you pray that tonight? God, help me. Help me to pattern my life after the way and the means in which you have offered forgiveness to me. Help me, Lord, to get underneath the load. Let my shoulder be underneath that. Lord, to practice those, those steps, Lord, that are needful and necessary, God, in order for this to take place and happen. I pray, oh God, tonight I come to you this evening. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for these past four weeks. God, as we have, Lord, very, Lord, it would seem at a slow pace, Lord, walk through these four stages of forgiveness. Lord, if you proclaimed it needed taught, God in the first century I know it still needs to be taught in this century I'm thankful God that we have more than a old sacrificial system even to look at but we have a man Christ Jesus and we have an act Lord that was done upon a tree and Lord things that were conveyed Lord Jesus as a pattern God we have the book of Philemon that Paul so adequately wrote Lord Jesus to try to lead us by the hand through a process Lord of forgiveness and ultimately even reconciliation I pray oh God tonight Lord touch our hearts anew touch our hearts anew God help me Lord to be introspective God in my life help me God to consider the relationships that are around me God my marriage Lord my church family God people Lord that I uh, I'm colleagues with God where I work Lord or employees that I may have whatever the dynamic may be and help me oh Lord Jesus today to practice the pattern practice the pattern help me God not to get caught up Lord into all these things that forgiveness is not help me God not to get caught up Lord Jesus in all these venues that forgiveness is not God there is a real wrong and it's personal and it's deep and it's unfair God and it must be acknowledged if there's going to be reconciliation but God help me Lord to step to the plate God not not to harbor Lord grudges and bitterness and God wrath and all types of putrid things Lord that are just really doing harm and danger Lord to my life rather than the one that offended me help me oh Lord today Lord to practice God a spirit of forgiveness in my heart God, I need thee tonight. Oh, let the sweet Lord Jesus, Holy Ghost, overflood my soul. God, whenever people look on my face, help them to see the face of God because I'm a practicer, Lord, of forgiveness. Hallelujah. If it's appropriate tonight, just grab the, the hand of the neighbor next to you. Lift it toward heaven. Let's pray together as, as we close out this service tonight. God, in the house of the forgiven, Lord, we want to be forgivers. God, in the house of those that have received such a tender touch of God, Lord, for the things that we have done against you and have done against the cross, I pray, oh God, help us, Lord, to have that same type of, Lord, compassion and see people as the needy, fallible individuals that they are aside, God, from what they have done Lord in need of help in need of hope in need of Lord a reconstruction I pray oh God of your hand hallelujah Jesus oh you are so righteous God oh let your spirit overflow our minds and our hearts God place us in alignment God with your spirit place us in alignment God with your character I pray Yes, God. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. I love you, Lord. And if we're on the opposite end of that, 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 that path, God, help us to 
be able to go in with a repentant heart. Help us to take ownership and identify, compensate if necessary, Lord. God, and let there be a change, Lord, of behavior. I know, God, sometimes it may take a process, but Lord, help us to take at least two or three steps, Lord, in that direction, in that journey. I pray, oh Lord, that trust can be rebuilt, commitment can be offered again, Lord, in the lives of these people, Lord. And I praise you and I thank you for it. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Hallelujah. And the church say amen. Tomorrow night prayer at the church. No game night Friday night. No game night. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.